Right, good morning. Would you please turn in your Bibles to Romans, uh, the letter to the Romans in the New Testament, chapter 15. Uh, as you turn to Romans 15, I just want to remind you again that tonight we have our annual general meeting via Zoom, so I hope you've blocked that time. All the members at 7 p.m. will be voting on the church budget, on elders and deacons, and also uh, on me as a candidate for senior pastor. So very important meeting. Uh, please be sure uh, to connect. Uh, Romans 15, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be gracious to us. Show us your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Scripture this morning. Fill our hearts with joy and hope through your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, ECC, we are possibly looking ahead to a new season. Uh, a season of transition, of rebuilding, and it's times like these, in seasons like these, we look and ask ourselves the question again, who are we as a people, as a church? We are a multi-ethnic church, people from nearly 50 countries. We are a multi-cultural church. We're a multi-denominational church from many different backgrounds. We live in a hyper-diverse city and community here in the Middle East. And as we look at ourselves as who we are as a church, where God has placed us, as we consider the future, it's good to consider the question, what are the values that unite us? What are we united around? And if the Lord should call me here to serve as senior pastor, then that's a question for me as well. What do I believe unites us as a church? Well, beloved, the answer to those questions, even as we look forward to the future, uh, I want to take you back to the past today, uh, to a text and to a sermon that I preached here in early 2017 when I was candidating for the role of associate pastor at ECC. And you know, we're a transient congregation, so every three years, you know, part of the membership revolves. And, and so there might be many of you who haven't heard this sermon before. Uh, for some of you, this is the second time you'll be hearing this sermon. Uh, but either way, I pray that you know, God's Word would be fresh to you this morning, and God's Word is always fresh and new. I want to show you again the beautiful vision of the gospel and the unity that the gospel brings in Romans 15. In Romans 15, Romans 15 the Apostle Paul gives us a vision of God's people united by the gospel. He shows us how God's people should live and what the mission of the church should be. And dear brothers and sisters, as we look at this text this morning, it's my hope that you would grow in the rich hope of the gospel that unites us and that sends us out on mission. So we're going to look at four ways in Romans 15 that the gospel unites us. Four ways that the gospel unites us. And these also happen to be four key values that drive me in pastoral ministry. First, we must be united as a gospel people. We must be united as a gospel people. Look with me at verses 1 to 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good 
to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul is writing this, and these words come at a climactic point in the letter of Romans, which some people have called the greatest letter ever written. It's a theological treatise in the New Testament. And if you're reading through Romans, you'll see that Romans is all about the gospel. Paul begins by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to Gentiles. The gospel saves all kinds of people. And it's no surprise because all of us have this in common that we are all sinners. Paul shows us how we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God in His grace has provided a way for us to be counted right before Him. He has provided His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a propitiation by His death on the cross. That is, on the cross, Jesus took the judgment that we deserve And then by His grace, when we repent of our sins and trust in Him, we have redemption. That is, we have salvation from sin, freedom from sin's penalty, freedom from sin's power, and the hope of eternal life with God. This is the gospel message that Paul sets forth in Romans. And throughout Romans, he shows us how all of the plan of God is an outworking of this gospel. And then after theology comes application, And finally, he brings us to this climactic point in Romans 15 where he's saying, the big glorious plan of salvation, of God's salvation from the entire letter, it all comes to this. The multi-ethnic, multi-cultured people of God living as one because of God's fulfillment of his promises in Jesus Christ. In Romans, Paul wants us to see that the gospel creates unity between disparate peoples, people with all sorts of differences, ethnic differences, cultural differences, linguistic differences, and yes, even differences of beliefs and differences of conviction on secondary matters in doctrine and Christian living. You know, we say we are a multi-denominational church here at ECC. You want to see the true original multi-denominational church was the church at Rome. This was filled with believers who had differing convictions and, and it led to some debates and even disputes among them. So if you read Romans 14, you'll see that there was a debate uh, between Christians at this church over what foods Christians were allowed to eat. They had a debate about what uh, days Christians ought to keep holy. So the church at Rome was struggling with minor disputes among its members. And what does Paul do? Paul responds by taking their eyes off these secondary things and reminding them of the big picture. He unfolds for them the majestic, glorious gospel of God's grace through sin- to sinners through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
The gospel is a message of God's grace. And if we've trusted in Christ, we have received this grace. And what Paul is saying to us in Romans 15 is that the grace of the gospel that we've received from God is a grace that we must extend to one another. Look again at verses 1 and 2. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Friends, when the gospel unites us, we become those who extend the grace of the gospel to each other. We have an obligation. Those who are strong, who think that we, we know the truth, we have an obligation to bear with those who are weaker. We have an obligation not to please ourselves, but to please our neighbor, to seek how, how can I serve somebody else, to lay aside our own preferences and serve others. Why are we supposed to be this kind of a people? Because verse 3 tells us we must be like Jesus, who did not seek to please himself, but instead took our reproach upon himself. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Friends, you and I, we have insulted God Almighty. We have insulted the creator of the universe himself with our sin, and we stand before him guilty and in shame. We deserve to be insulted for what we have done. We deserve reproach and shame from God for what we have done. We deserve punishment for our sins. But what Paul is saying is that the punishment that you and I deserve, the shame that should have been on us, was all placed upon Jesus, the spotless Son of God, who poured out His blood to save us and to make us one. We have been saved by the Christ who did not serve Himself, but served us. The Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many to save sinners. The Lord who upholds the universe was upheld on a cross so that you and I might be made right with God. And so that we might live rightly with one another. You see, the gift of salvation that's been given to us vertically from above must be lived out horizontally in love. The gospel of justification, of salvation by faith alone is a gospel which has flesh and bones. It's a real salvation that must be lived out, not on your own, but with real people who have real flaws and weaknesses and sins in real struggles, in real community, real life community. This gospel calls us to live life with each other in unity and in harmony. So that even despite all our differences, someone from the world outside looking in can say, what is it that binds all these people together? What is it that despite the fact that they're all so different, how are they all one? And we say, well, Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, by how you love one another. And it's a love that extends across our differences. You know, I've alluded the beautiful picture of this that you can see uh, with our dear brother Lamuel and his wife Sarah in Burjil Hospital, as there's been a steady stream of ECC members going there to serve them. And they're not all from the same country, Pakistan. It's been members of ECC from the nations, culturally different, ethnically different, linguistically different, praying with our brother and sister, serving our brother and sister, loving them, 
and the world around is watching and wondering, what is it that creates this kind of a people? Friends, unity and diversity is a great idea, but we don't want unity and diversity here at ECC simply as a name, not simply as a slogan, but we want it in reality and in our life with one another. And we want to see the strong not seeking to please ourselves, but serving the weak. So how does that begin? How do we seek to be a people who serve one another? Well, Paul tells us. It begins by seeking not to please yourself, but to please others. By bearing with those who might be different from you, who might be culturally different from you, from a different background, who might do things in a different way and, and sometimes even in ways that might seem weird to you. It means reaching out across those barriers that can so easily divide to form real relationships and fellowship. You know, maybe you're here and, and maybe you're a member of ECC. English is not your first language, your second language. And, you know, sometimes I know some of us, that if you feel shy and, you know, oh, I, I don't know how I can feel shy because I don't know English well. The words don't always come out. But what's not important is your words. What's more important is your heart. And I want to encourage you not to be shy and withdraw, but to push into those relationships, even across language barriers. How do we serve one another? It means that we forgive and forbear with one another, even with those who might rub us the wrong way or annoy us or do something that, that we feel you know, was awkward, that we forgive. You know, we grow in serving others by learning not to have expectations that, you know, your way of doing things or my way of doing things is the only right way and that there's no other way. You know, someone else might have a completely different way of doing things that you just don't understand. We serve one another by not despising those whose conscience might be weaker than ours or who have a different conviction on a secondary issue. Of course, at ECC, you know, we are strongly committed to uh, the things that are primary. We are firmly committed to and will never compromise uh, on the truths that, for instance, are laid out in our statement of faith. But there are a whole host of secondary matters, brothers and sisters, in which we need to learn to show grace to one another. You know? Well, oh, he may, maybe someone believes differently from you on this point or on that point. It's okay. They're still your brother or sister in Christ. And we still need to love and serve one another. You know, it's great to have strong convictions. Strong convictions are a good thing. Certainty about truths in the Bible. But, you know, your Christian maturity is not just measured by how strong your convictions are on every point of truth. Your Christian maturity is measured by how willing you are to extend love and grace and fellowship to those who might have a different conviction from you on secondary truths. We're called to live life with one another and be part of one another's lives, even across our differences. So I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing at this? If, if someone were to you know, look into your life, if some non-Christian or someone outside were to look at your life and your network of relationships, and especially your network of relationships within the church, would they see somebody who only groups together with people who are just like them in every way, with the same common interests, same common culture, and you know, in every sense the same? Or are they going to see your life surrounded by relationships in such a way that the only explanation for that kind of unity and that kind of love is they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, maybe some of us may need to go out and try some new weird foods that might seem weird to you, but not to your brother or sister in Christ. 
And, and, and I know it's hard, right? It's hard. Yes, it's hard. It's hard to live life in harmony with people who are different. It's hard to cross cultural barriers and social barriers and even linguistic barriers and maybe even eat those weird foods or to be silent about your cherished conviction for the sake of gospel unity. It's also hard because our sin hinders us from true unity, right? We're all sinners and we constantly are struggling against our own sin. But brothers and sisters, we can have confidence that our unity will not fail, it will not be broken, it will be established because we know that Jesus, the Son of God, died to achieve this unity and the Son of God who is lifted up will draw all peoples to himself. The peoples from the nations, as we sang, will praise him. And all of the Bible points forward to this hope, the hope of the unity of the people of God from every tribe and tongue and nation in the risen Christ. So the first way that the gospel unites us is by making us a gospel people. The second way that the gospel unites us is that we are united by gospel hope. We must be united by gospel hope. Look at verses 8 to 14. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Did you see, even as we read that, the thread of hope that Paul weaves through these verses again and again? I mean, look at verse 12 there. In him will the Gentiles hope. Verse 13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And of course, Paul has already talked about this hope previously in the passage. You can see it again, verses 4 to 6. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the hope that the Scripture produces, the hope that burns in our hearts, that brings all nations together, is fulfilled in us here at ECC, so that even in trying times, even in tough times like this, even in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, through loss and sadness and tears with masks on, we can come here and we can fulfill what Paul is saying in this passage, that the God of endurance and encouragement is granting us to live in harmony. And we lift our voices in harmony with one voice, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, even in our singing. It's amazing you think about this. That God is drawing the nations here. We are a church from the nations here at ECC. From Australia and America. 
from Europe, all of the Europeans and, and, and all of those from Latin America, from north, south, east, and west, from Africa, from West Africa, the Nigerians and the Ghanaians, from East Africa, the Ethiopians, Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Indian and Pakistani and Chinese, Indonesians, and all of the Filipinos overflowing with the joy of the Lord in their hearts, all gathered together in harmony with one another, with one voice, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in hope. This is our hope, beloved. The glory of God in the unity of his redeemed people in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is why Jesus died. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles, the nations, that's us, might glorify God for his mercy. The Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says over here, became a servant of the circumcised, that is, of the Jewish people, to confirm God's promises to the patriarchs, that is, the promise to Abraham. What Paul is speaking of here is the promise of the Abrahamic covenant, that God made a covenant with a man named Abraham and made promises to him, and the central theme of that promise was that in his family, all nations, the nations would be blessed. So that we, verse 9, the Gentiles, we, would glorify God for his mercy to us. Think about it. The son of God, the master of the universe. As one song says, the master of the earth became a servant of no worth. The Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, became a suffering servant. A servant who suffered and took upon himself our reproach, took upon himself our sins and our guilt, took upon himself our shame, and died on a cross pouring out his blood so that sinners like you and me would receive mercy and hope. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here in this room or watching online and you don't know the hope that we have in Jesus and, and we want to tell you and we want to share with you and invite you into this hope. We, we want to tell you that what we all have in common, the reason that we are all hopeful even in the middle of trials, the reason that we are all hopeful even though we're all wearing masks and these subnormal times, the reason that we have our hope and that we sing with joy is because we believe that we are all sinners. We're just like you. We have all fallen short of God's commands and we deserve God's punishment. But... God has been gracious and merciful and he's provided a way for sinners to come out of our sin, to come out of our darkness and to come into his light. That the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, died on the cross, taking our sin and guilt upon himself so that whoever repents of sin and believes in him will have the hope of eternal life, freedom from sin's penalty, freedom from sin's power, 
and the hope of glory and life with God forever. We want to share that hope with you, dear friend, if you're here and you don't know Jesus. We welcome you and invite you to trust in him. Hear the voice of the risen son of God calling to you today, calling to you from the scriptures. The one who poured out his blood and died on the cross and rose again is calling to you to turn from your sin and to trust in him and to be welcomed into this family of hope. Would you hope in Jesus? Brothers and sisters, beloved, this hope fills the scriptures. The hope of God's people being gathered from every nation, from every tribe and tongue and nation, this is the fulfillment of all God's promises. And what Paul does here in the text in Romans 15 is beautiful. He shows us how every part of the Bible, every section of scripture is filled with this glorious hope. He says the Old Testament history speaks of it. So he quotes from the Old Testament history books. He quotes 2 Samuel 22 in Romans 15 verse 9. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. He says Moses wrote of it in the law. He quotes from the law. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 32 in Romans 15 10. Rejoice O Gentiles with his people. Paul says the writings and the songs of Israel sing about this hope. Psalm 117 verse 1 in Romans 15, 11, just like we sang this morning. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. The prophets of Israel prophesied about this. He quotes Isaiah chapter 11, which our brother Raj read in, in Romans 15, 12. The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Think about it, brothers and sisters. 2,700 years ago, a man named Isaiah, a prophet, was writing about the hope that you and I have in the Lord Jesus Christ, about our salvation. He was prophesying about us. Think about 3,000 years ago, King David, the king of Israel, was writing songs and singing songs, singing about the glorious hope of unity that we enjoy King David was singing about ECC singing. We are the fulfillment of everything that David sang about. You and I are the fulfillment of what the scriptures prophesy about. The hope of the glory of God that's begun to be fulfilled in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and even as we have that fire of hope in our hearts, what keeps those fires burning? What is it that causes the flame of hope to grow within us? Well, we grow in hope by submitting to the scriptures, to the word that gives hope. Look again, verse 4. Whatever was written in former days, that's this, was written for our instruction so that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The scriptures produce hope in us. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So the God of hope causes us to have joy and peace, how? In believing. And then the Holy Spirit works to cause us to abound in hope, how? Through, through our believing. How does he do it? How does the Holy Spirit do it? Well, if you've read Romans carefully, you know. You know how people believe, right? Romans 10, 14, it's through the preached word. 
Paul says, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The preached word produces belief, which the Holy Spirit uses to produce hope, causing us to overflow in hope. ECC, I am so thankful that the word of God, the preaching of God's word is honored and cherished in this church. And I pray that we would always make that a priority in our lives, the word of God preached. You know, as one of your pastors these last three and a half years, it's been my privilege and my joy to preach to you the scriptures And should the Lord call me to serve you as senior pastor, I would continue in that duty and calling. By his grace, that would be my joy and privilege to continue ECC's great legacy of expository preaching. I've said before and I I say again, and I commit to you by God's grace, I will preach God's word to you. I will proclaim to you the whole counsel of God without shrinking back both the portions of Scripture that bring comfort and joy and the parts of Scripture that may be more difficult and hard to hear. I commit to preach Christ from the Scriptures with the confidence that God will do His work through His Word. We foster gospel unity by submitting to the Word that unites We live in gospel hope by trusting in the word that gives hope. And you see, it's not just the preacher or pastor who instructs with this word. No, look again at verse 14. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. I've written to you 15 chapters of Romans, but I know that you already know it all. Because you have the Holy Spirit and he's able to teach you and and able to bring you to instruct one another. Paul had the confidence that the people of God are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. And I have that confidence in you, ECC. That's why we moved to elder-led congregationalism. Because we believe that the congregation, the members of Christ's church, are to take responsibility for one another, are to to commit to instruct one another with the word of God. And it's my privilege together with your elders to continue equipping you to be able to instruct one another with God's word. So as Paul preached this word, he had confidence, unshakable confidence. He was bold and unashamed because he knew that the gospel produces what the law could not. An obedient people for God who would glorify Christ in their worship. A a people who live together in love and harmony and instruct one another with God's word and hope in God's promises. What is it that creates that? The gospel creates that. And this gospel is what we've built our ministry on at ECC and this is what we continue to stay committed to. But the gospel doesn't just grow us within. It it doesn't just grow us within these walls, within this community. No, the gospel also drives us out. It propels us forward and out into the world as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. The gospel fueled Paul's ambition for mission 
and it should also fuel ours. The first way the gospel unites us is in being a gospel people. Second, we are united in gospel hope. And third, we must be united in gospel mission. Look at verses 15 to 22. We must be united in gospel mission. On some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. Beloved, the unity of God's people is so beautiful and the hope of God's glory in gathering his people is so certain that we must go and we must send because this glorious hope, this glorious truth This beautiful gospel must be proclaimed that the Lord would gather more and more people from the nations to himself. What a calling this is. What a labor worth toiling for and giving up everything for. You know, we could talk about all the different missionaries that the Lord has used uh, throughout the ages in church history. We could talk about men like William Carey and Adoniram Judson who went to India and Burma, great heroes of mine. We could talk about the great missionary Samuel Zwemel, who came to these shores, the, the Arabian Peninsula, one of the first to bring the gospel here. But we have the greatest missionary in all of church history speaking to us right here in this passage. Do, do you feel the passion of the Apostle Paul? Do you feel and sense his great joy at bringing a people prepared for God as his offering to the Lord. Verses 15 and 16, grace was given to me, Paul says. It's his privilege, it's his gift to be a minister of Christ so that the offering of the Gentiles of the nations might be sanctified and acceptable to God. Verses 17 and 18, he says, I have reason to be proud of my work for God in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to speak of anything except what the Lord has accomplished through me to bring the nations to obedience in word and deed. And then feel his ambition, his burning ambition in in verses 20, 21 to proclaim Christ where he has not been named among those who have never heard. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. But those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. And friends, this great commission, this amazing mission to which Paul dedicated his life was not just for Paul. No, it's been given to us. This is our privilege. You see, the greatest and most primary missionary society on the planet in sending and in going and in giving and in praying for missions and the advance of the gospel is the local church. It's the local church that raises up and sends out missionaries. The calling to labor for gospel mission is is not just something for the missionaries out there on the field. It's not just something for pastors 
This is not just for a few people called the global outreach team. No, we are the global outreach team. This is our privilege as a local church. We must share Paul's ambition. You know, Pastor John Piper says there are only three kinds of Christians in the world. He says there are those who go, there are those who send, and there are those who are disobedient. So which kind are you? Which kind are we? You know, we don't want ECC to become just merely an oasis. You know, you, you come out here as an expat living in this, uh, you know, Abu Dhabi, foreign city, out in the Middle East, out in the desert, and, you know, life is tough. And, oh, the local church, ECC, international church, is a nice oasis. We can come and get refreshed and encouraged with the promises of God and comforted. And, yes, in one way, we are that, right? We, we are an oasis. But we don't want to be just an oasis, Brothers and sisters, we're called to be an embassy, an embassy of the Lord Jesus Christ in Abu Dhabi, that we are representatives of his kingdom. And we are called to train and raise up and send out gospel ambassadors to the nations. I want to ask you, do you feel the ambition to see Christ named where he has not been named? Are we going to take ownership and responsibility to raise up and send out and go and live and pray and give for God's global glory in the nations. You know, one of the most impactful, when expat church, oh, we're expat church, how do we do this? One of the most impactful expat churches in history, I think of, was the church in Geneva at the time of the Protestant Reformation. This was an expat church. And people were fleeing persecution from all around the surrounding countries where it was illegal to read the Bible, and they came to Geneva. And at Geneva, they experienced expository preaching, congregational singing, church life and fellowship like they never experienced before. And even as they experienced that, their hearts burned with a passion to go back to their homelands and to see churches planted like this. And eventually, Geneva planted 2,000 churches in Poland, in Hungary, in so many parts of Europe, in France, where it was illegal to be a Christian. You could be put to death and burned for reading the Bible. And they planted Hundreds of churches in France. They sent missionaries all the way to Brazil. Brothers and sisters, wouldn't it be wonderful, wouldn't it be a great work of God if ECC could become a 21st century Geneva here in the Middle East? You know, the, the church in Antioch, the church in the book of Acts, the church in Antioch that raised up and sent out Barnabas and Paul as missionaries, Paul was sent from the church in Antioch. You know who planted the church in Antioch? Ordinary Christians, ordinary church members who left Jerusalem and then came to Antioch and started sharing the gospel and formed a church. Oh, if ECC could plant many Antiochs. This is the passion of our elders, brothers and sisters. This is my passion, to serve and equip you as God's people to keep growing in gospel hope, to live in gospel unity, and to be ambitious for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in the nations. We are united as a gospel people. We are united by gospel hope. We are engaged in gospel mission. But there's one more way that the gospel unites us that I want you to see here. We must be united, number four, in gospel love. And if you read verses 22 to 33, I'm not going to read all of it for you. You'll see this. Paul was ambitious for the glory of God, 
But if you read through the end of chapter 15 and then into chapter 16, you'll also see that Paul was passionate with love for people. We're, we're talking about Romans, the greatest letter ever written in the history of the church, right? This great theological letter full of glorious truths. It ends in chapter 16 with a list of names. It ends with your church membership directory, is what it is. And, and I want to highlight for you in, in verses 22 to 33 several phrases here. I'm not going to read all of it, but look at this. Verse 23, I have longed for many years to come to you. I hope to see you, verse 24. I want to go on my way to Spain at the end of verse 24 after I've enjoyed your company for a little while. Verse 25, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He's longing to come to them. Verse 32, pray with me by God's will I may come to you with joy and so that I may be refreshed in your company. Paul was passionately concerned about people's spiritual needs and people's physical needs. He was passionate with the love for people whom he knew very well, whom he had discipled, even shared the gospel with. And he was passionate with concern and love for people whom he had never even met. He was passionate with concern and love for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when I was first called to ministry many years ago, I thought ministry is a work of rightly handling the scriptures. And, and this is true. This is very true. You know, fundamentally and foremost, pastoral ministry, as I said last week, is a ministry of proclamation. But over the years, I realized, just as much as being a ministry of proclamation, pastoral ministry is also a ministry of presence. A ministry of ordinary obedience. In these last three and a half years, ECC, this has been my privilege to weep with those of you who weep, have wept with several of you, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to love you and to know you by name, to pray for you together with our elders by name, to hold babies in the hospital and praise God with joyful, proud parents, and to hold the hand of dying saints and prepare them for glory. You know what, this ministry of ordinary obedience, it's not just for pastors. It's for all of us. All of us are called to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to give our lives as a living sacrifice and fulfill his great commandment to love one another as Christ has loved us. I want to close with this. I don't know how the vote is going to go tonight. God might call me to be the senior pastor here. He might call me to continue serving in my present role. But I want to appeal to you, no matter what, with Paul's appeal from verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Would you pray for me and pray for us that we may be found faithful? Heavenly Father, we thank you 
for your word. Grow us in our love for the gospel and the hope that it gives. In Jesus' name, amen.